with Ryan Reese from Southern California. This is Live with Ryan Reese. Call now, 1-888-564-6173. Or post your questions using the hashtag LiveRyanReese on his Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. We have a great show this Saturday night. So I have a, a guest in studio. Um, his name is Seth Gruber. I've been getting um, text messages. I've been getting emails. His name keeps coming up. Um, you got to get this guy on your show. He's the leading voice, uh, leading young guy in this generation right now that's in America that's talking about pro-life. And uh, he's an apologist. And uh, his, his name just keeps ringing in my, uh, in my inbox. So I decided to finally get him on the show when I get back in town. So I want to thank you, Seth, for being in studio. Um, yeah, you have a, you have a buzz around your name. I know you're a, a humble guy and everything. So, um, it's an honor and privilege to, to have you here and to have you on the show because you are a voice and this is a very, uh, serious subject as you're pro-life and you're talking about abortion and all the different things that are going on in the culture. Um, me personally, uh, I've been in a situation where I was married and, um, my wife had an abortion without telling me. And then later on, I got her pregnant again uh, with identical twins, and one died out from this thing called vanishing twin. And a couple months later, she decided that she um, didn't want to have the kid, so she aborted the other kid. Mm-hmm. So then that led to a divorce, and that that's pretty much my testimony. How and yeah. I ended up finding God. So wow. um, now, obviously, I God blessed me with um, triplet daughters, and we have a, a boy uh, coming. So this oh, okay. is a, a close subject to my heart um, with abortion and I don't think that people really understand the um, the the effects of it and how uh, serious it is and not only that uh, what God thinks about it yeah so thanks a lot I want you to just let it rip please (laughs) because I know you have a lot of statistics and numbers but then also uh, we're going to talk about how it applies to us through science and through the word of God yeah yeah Amen. Well, thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, you have been an encouragement to the Christian community uh, in Orange County and more broadly in the country. And it's, it's, uh, it's beautiful and encouraging to see, uh, to see beauty from ashes, right? And to see yeah. how God has used your testimony to bless others and encourage people to, to seek truth. And that truth is ultimately going to be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so thank Thanks you for your lot. ministry and for what you do. And it's an honor to be on the show. Um, abortion is the greatest human rights violation in human history. And nobody wants to talk about the issue in that way, right? Because of all the emotion and all of the politics that are involved with it. And because so many people have had an abortion. Statistics say that roughly one in four women in our country will have had an abortion. Sometimes some, some people say one in three. Wow, that's so th- a this lot. this that's affects crazy. so many people, and this is in our churches too, right? This is in the walls of the churches. the The Guttmacher Institute, which is Planned Parenthood statistical research branch, so these is not a pro life numbers, right? These are not pro life studies. This is from right. the other side saying that roughly thirty percent of of the abortions being performed annually in our country are being performed on women who claim to be born again evangelical or Protestant Christians, and Just, so thirty percent, yeah. Mm-hmm who are claiming an affiliation with Jesus Christ, with an evangelical Protestant church. That is crazy. So when we see so many of our churches right. in the country that won't touch abortion with a 10-foot pole, 
and certainly not from the pulpit, right? Right. One of the reasons for that is because they know that there are a lot of men and women in their church who have arranged the death of their children through abortion. Maybe some of them have have experienced healing and forgiveness, but maybe a lot of them haven't. Maybe some of them are rationalizing or justifying their decision. They're explaining it away, like it was just a blob of tissue. Yeah, let's talk about a couple of ideas. Like, how could a Christian justify this? Like, what are some some of the things you've heard? Yeah, well, um, you know, they say politics is downstream from culture. And so where the culture is going does impact not just politics, but it impacts people. And the church is not exempt from that, right? We're not this this bubble of an institution where we can just avoid being impacted by the cultural messages. And so in 1973, when abortion was made legal mm-hmm. in our country, that that set a narrative, that set a message. And that message was that women need abortion to have women's equality. And it's not a baby. It's just a blob of tissue. Yeah. And we're just gently suctioning out um, tissue that's potential to a person. It's not a person. It's not a baby yet. Don't worry. We're just removing tissue. Well, that narrative has impacted generations of people. Now, a lot of people know what they're doing. A lot of people know it's a baby. Certainly the abortionists are, are not exempt from that. They know exactly what they're doing. But a lot of men and women who were facing an unplanned pregnancy bought the cultural lie that, oh, you know, at, at 9 or 10 weeks or 11 weeks, it's, it's not a person yet. It's just, it's just tissue. It's pregnancy tissue. Yeah. And so that lie has pervaded the church as well. And so a lot of people who are growing up or grew up in a Christian family or even in a Christian church with, with a community of believers, but their church never talked about abortion. So where were they getting their information? Where were they from getting the their – from culture. Right. And so we as Christians, we as Christian leaders in the church, we have to be as committed, if not more, to equipping and training our young people to defend truth and to defend the unborn neighbors in our midst as the other side is to equipping the young people in culture to defend abortion. And sadly, the passion in the abortion wars is often seen more in those defending abortion than those defending the unborn. And so how can a Christian justify and rationalize abortion? Well, oftentimes because they've convinced themselves or bought the lie that it wasn't a person. They were not killing a person. They were just removing pregnancy tissue. Because the church hasn't done their part to educate. Yeah. And that's what your guys' ministry does. That's right. So how do you see this operating with like the younger generation? Because obviously you see, you know, that I tour schools, middle schools, high schools. Is it a, is it, is it a big deal with this uh, younger generation? Well, this January, Ryan, is going to be 47 years of legalized abortion and over 60 million dead unborn children whose limbs were ripped from their bodies before they were born. How many generations have been born into an American culture where abortion was already legal and celebrated as a women's rights issue? Right. A lot of people, a lot of generations. And so now Gen Z is the third generation to be born into a country that celebrated abortion as the legal and moral right. Ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. Mm-hmm. The victims of the, these bad ideas are the 60 million dead babies who right. were ripped limb from limb on the altar of women's health care. And so... Many of the parents. I love the way you put it. You're so graphic because honestly, this is the reality. That's right. You know, when you start talking about it softly, 
there's no impact, but this is the this is literally the reality of what's happening. That's right to these babies, and that's not to shame people who have had an abortion, right? And, no, there's and, great, and great. I believe that Jesus yeah. is just as eager to forgive the sin of abortion as any other sin. Yeah. But mm-hmm. we we dishonor mm-hmm. the victims of abortion and the reality of abortion when we describe it as anything less. Yeah than homicide, anything less than a genocide. Mm -hmm. There's been no other killing in human history that has racked up the number of lives that Roe v. Wade has. Roe v. Wade and the abortion juggernaut make Stalin and Hitler look like they were were children playing at a park, just child's play in comparison. So Gen Z right now, these high school students that you're going and talking to, are likely the the children of parents who have been buying the abortion lie for three decades. Right. And so that's just been the message. And unfortunately, to get you know a little political here, our mainstream media is, is not committed to, to allowing the best thinkers on both sides of the issue to have a platform on their news outlets. Yep. They're only committed to allowing one side yep, to have their ideas down. discussed. And so, one, our churches aren't discussing it, and the church is far more – far less impactful in influencing culture, as you know, than they used to be seven yeah. decades ago. Yep. Our mainstream media is not committed to, to bringing you the facts on both sides of the aisle and letting you formulate your decisions. So the, the, the two biggest institutions that would be impactful in shaping culture and ideas are disengaged from promoting any type of pro-life ideas, any type of pro-life thinking. And so the mainstream cultural narrative is that abortion is a woman's rights issue that is vital if you care about women's equality. You know, putting aside the fact that half of the babies who were, whose limbs were ripped from, ripped from their bodies were unborn women, so much for women's rights. <laughs> so, so these young people are hearing the cultural narrative and this book recently written by an abortion rights activist called Hashtag Shout Your Abortion. And Oprah had that, this That was author. that whole thing that was going on on social media, right? Yeah. Everyone was cla- talking well, and, about and, their abortions. And Oprah had the author on the show, on her show. Oh, really? And a lot of people who have appreciated Oprah for many years for being – you know, not so partisan yeah, for being yeah. very open to, you know, ideas from both sides of the aisle. Right. We're, we're, we're like, well, you're a partisan hack. I mean, like, you wow. know, you're, you've completely bought the abortion lie. I mean, even those who believed that abortion should be legal but rare, you remember the right. Clinton, uh, yeah. the Clinton uh, thing, right? Abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. That's what Bill Clinton ran on. And the question the pro-life movement has always asked the pro-choice movement is why rare? Why rare? Because if your contention is that abortion does not kill a human being, it just gently suctions out pregnancy tissue, then abortion is no more morally problematic than clipping your fingernails Mm -hmm. if the unborn is not a human being. So if that's your pitch, if that's your shtick, then why are you saying abortion should be rare? You see, deep down, eternity is written on the heart of man. And so even those who who shake their fists at God— know deep down Mm. that the abortion debate is a debate of ultimate moral significance because we all know as john piper once wrote an article saying we we know they're killing babies we all know it truth has an annoying habit of reasserting itself in our lives and kicking the door in and demanding attention because that's what objective truth does 
So we can be grateful for that, and we should be grateful for the rising tide of pro-life legislation and rising tide of passion in the pro-life movement to bring that truth to the American public, and we need to be doing that in our schools. Mm-hmm. We need to be doing that in our families, and we need to be doing that in our churches because the abortion lie has been going on for 47 years, and its victims are not just the 60 million dead babies, but all of the fathers and mothers who are wounded and hurt and regretting and depressed from the reality that they arranged the death of their unborn child. So you have all these, we'll say culture, because this whole uh, social media blitz, you know, with, I mean, I even had uh, people that I, some of my friends, girls that were, that were posting, you know, they had an abortion, everyone come out about this thing. Cause what it does is it calluses, it normalizes that it's, it's okay Talk about it. So just go ahead and do it. That's so right. now all these young kids that are looking up to these older, you know, these celebrities or whatever that are that are dominating culture. They're they're buying into it. So have you seen? Um, has there been a, a rise in in like middle school, high school uh, abortions? Is that? Do you have any numbers for? Yeah, for, the for, abortion for high, does target um, high school students. What's, what's, but yeah, the, what's average? Yeah, the the average. So so the majority of abortions. Yeah. Um, are performed on women between the ages of like 19 and 23. So, so we're talking more like college age okay, right. would be the largest demographic that right. accounts for abortions. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's a small percentage that impacts high school students. Is it, is, it, is it down all the way to middle school students? Not nearly as no. much. Yeah. But I mean, it's you know, but, yeah, if you can that. get pregnant yeah. – and you have no moral yeah. qualms with having sex, yeah. then you're going to have abortion. I mean, I've heard, I've, I've, too. But, but it's nothing in comparison to that, like 18, 19 to like 23, 24, 25. I've heard several stories of, of people that have come to me for like counseling and, and they're in high school and they're pregnant and the mom, you know, is telling them to, to get an abortion. Wow. It's very, very common. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are some side effects or like, I mean, you've talked to several people that have been through uh, abortions because they've, yeah. like you just said, they, they, they basically took made the date to, to murder their their kid. What are some of the side effects that you hear that happened to some of these these women? Is there depression? Is there anxiety? Is there you know what, what are the long term effects right. besides even physical stuff? Right. Well, the effects are all across the aisle. Mm-hmm. They're kind of just everywhere, and that's because some women actually believe, like I said earlier, that they didn't kill a baby. They actually believe that it was a blob of tissue. Mm-hmm. And so if you actually believe that, yeah. like, like not just like I, I need to believe that to justify yeah. what I did. But if you actually believe that, right. then the fallout from your abortion might take some time. It might take some time for you to come around to the truth and mourn yeah. at what you did. But I think, I think a lot of people, especially if we're talking about a later term abortion, right? Because right. yeah. if the mother's feeling her feeling baby the kick, yeah. then there's no more blob of tissue lie, right? No. But unfortunately, the majority of abortions are performed in the first trimester. Over 90% of abortions are performed in the first three months before the mother will feel her unborn offspring kick. And the trimester in which there's the most public support for abortion. Why is that? because the culture bought the lie that it's not a baby and it's just a blob of tissue. And it's easier to justify that abortion in the first trimester when it does look less like you and me and when you aren't feeling your child kick yet. But later-term abortions, that lie becomes impossible to maintain. 
So for that reason, the abortion juggernaut does everything they can to perform abortions earlier in the first trimester. Now, they have a financial incentive to perform them later because abortions are more expensive the more developed your baby is, but it means that it's harder to convince women to get abortions in the later trimester. (laughs) So most of the abortions are performed in the first trimester. Now, that law that you said they got passed in 1973, I think it was, Uh, with that lady, um, Norma could, McCorvey, referred t- tell to that, as tell Rose. that story because I saw that I saw her story in a, in a video. Yeah, uh, but she was she was wanting to get an abortion. Yeah. So let's let's briefly look at the history of Roe versus yeah. Wade. Yeah. So Roe versus Wade, along with a case called Doe versus Bolton, in 1973, were both Supreme Court decisions that made up abortion law in our country in all 50 states. Now, they did allow for states to pass restrictions when the unborn child was defined as viable, meaning able to survive outside the womb. But apart from state restrictions, Roe v. Wade becomes the law of the land in regards to abortion. But Norma McCorvey, referred to as Roe in that decision, was living in Texas at a time because this was before federal law stepped in on abortion. So states were having to make sure that abortion was illegal in their state. And so... An abortion was illegal in Texas unless refraining from getting an abortion was going to endanger the mother's life. Well, Norma McCorvey's life was not endangered. But those who had a vested interest in legalizing abortion used her as a pawn in their chess match to legalize abortion. Mm -hmm. So they took her case to the state of Texas. It ended up before the Supreme Court. And that's how we got abortion law today. Norma McCorvey never got an abortion because the whole case took too long. So she was forced to keep her baby, baby, was grateful she did, later became a Christian, and later became a leading pro-life activist. Amazing. So the woman who was responsible for legalized abortion in our country never had an abortion, became a Christian, and then spent the rest of her life speaking out against the evils of abortion. Now, that law, can that ever be overturned? Yes, and that is what the pro-life movement is working for day and night. So now, if, I, but they've been trying for years, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, it goes back to the states. So you see— Also, oh, each state gets to de- determine the Got law of, for abortions in their state. So you'll, if you recall, in January, mm-hmm. February— the state of New York decided to legalize abortion to the day of birth in their state. The reason that they did that was very clear because the governor of New York, uh, Governor Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, said at a political conference that the reason he is codifying Roe v. Wade into state law is because, quote, I know that both of Trump's Supreme Court justices will overturn Roe v. Wade. And so the abortion juggernaut is running scared. They're afraid that with the current administration that is very, very friendly to the pro-life movement, that they will get enough justices on the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. So deep blue states are rushing to legalize abortion to the day of birth in their state so that if Roe v. Wade is overturned and it goes back to the states, they can say, well, we prepared for this. Our state is going to protect so killing the, babies to was. the day of birth. That's what all that On was. On the flip side, yeah. you have more red states that are much more pro-life right. who are trying to pass heartbeat legislation to make abortion illegal after there's a detectable heartbeat at around eight weeks. Eight weeks. And put into the legislation 
that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, their state will make abortion illegal. So there is a big battle going on right now. There are wow. two different political parties. Yeah. There are two different worldviews yeah. driving this. And it all comes back to the question, what is the unborn and what makes humans valuable? And with that question, so let's, let's talk about that according to science. Yeah. Uh, so you were, I was listening to one of your interviews and you were talking about how uh, when the baby um, is conceived, it's, uh, it's according to science, it's considered at, I forget how you, you worded it, but what was it, right when the baby's conceived? Yeah. According to science, what does it say? Yeah, let's talk. So the science of embryology That's what it was, is very clear. Yeah. And we know um, what happens during reproduction and we know what happens at the earliest stages of development these are not myths these are not things we wonder about we know very clearly um, what is there from the moment of conception the science of embryology teaches us that from the moment of conception right so sperm meets egg sperm and egg die no more sperm no more egg right human being we know that from that moment there is a distinct living and whole human being distinct means that what it's actually separate, right? Distinct, unique, mm-hmm. not part of the mother's body. But you've all, you, we've all heard the mantra, right? What is it? My body, my yeah. choice. Yeah. Now notice the There's mantra. Yeah, the, the mantra you'll never hear yeah. from those who support abortion is our bodies, my choice. Yeah. Or two bodies, my choice. Now, supporters of abortion will never say that. Why? Because that's a tacit admission that there is more than one body involved. Mm-hmm. And you have to maintain the lie that it's a woman's body in order to get the American public to accept that abortion is needed for women's health care, women's rights. And that's the whole marketing behind it. It's just my body. It's, it's total euphemistic language. Mm-hmm. And any mass injustice in human history, you will find euphemistic doublespeak up and down the political spectrum. Anytime there is mass injustice, because you have to use language to create the illusion that the thing being done against these victims is actually not morally problematic, and it's actually just. So you get Julian Castro, a Democratic presidential hopeful in a presidential debate last month, saying, I believe in reproductive justice. You want to talk about euphemistic doublespeak? Mm -hmm. What does he mean by reproductive justice, Ryan? Oh, Oh, he means the legal right for parents to pay abortionists to rip the limbs off of their child up to the day of birth. How is that about reproduction and how is that just? So they're, they're rewarding everything. Yeah, you have to, to yeah. create the illusion that abortion is healthcare, certainly not healthcare for the baby who ends up dead. And it's certainly not healthcare for the mother who could have significant physical injuries and if not, certainly emotional yeah. trauma. Yeah. So the science of embryology teaches us that it's a distinct human being. Here's how we know that. When women are pregnant with children, and we both know this, we watched our wives be pregnant, yep. um, we know that our wives, when they were pregnant, did not have 20 fingers, 20 toes, two heartbeats, two different DNA codes, two different blood types. Oh, and your, your wife's pregnant with a boy right now? Mm-hmm. I guess your wife has a penis. Mm-hmm. Wait, yeah. no, 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 no. That yeah. doesn't make sense. Why does it not make sense? Because the unborn child is distinct. It's not her body. If it was her body, then all the parts of the baby would be the parts of the mother. 
but that's not true. So it's distinct. It's living because dead things don't grow. Yep. And the unborn child directs their own internal growth from within. Mm-hmm. So your wife right now is not willing your unborn son to grow, is she? She's yeah. not sitting there going, yeah. waking you up in the middle of the you night saying, grow. Ryan, tell him to grow. We forgot to tell him to grow. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's not how pregnancy works, right? Yeah. Unborn children develop themselves. That is the awe-inspiring nature of God's creation. So they're living because we're not willing them to grow and they're directing their own internal growth. And the unborn child is whole. Here's what we mean, we mean when we say an unborn human being is whole. We don't mean fully developed, right? We don't mean that they look like us even yet. We don't mean that they're capable of laughing at your joke or right. catching a football. When an unborn child is a whole human being, all that means is that they have everything they need from the moment of conception to realize their full growth and development as one of us. So I'm 27. Mm-hmm. I'm not 30. Yep. But I have everything I need in my biologically coordinated human 27-year-old body to, get to, to realize yeah. my development as a 30-year-old. Yeah. I mean, they say men don't reach their mental peak until their 40s, which is very, <gasps> That's good, what happened. very good news for my <laughs> wife, by the way. <laughs> I told my wife that. She was like, <laughs> So I'm still developing, right? But I have everything I need to realize my development as a fully mentally developed 40-year-old, right? Yeah. So the same is true of the unborn child. They have everything they need from the moment of conception to realize their growth and development as a participating member of the human species species. That's what the science of embryology teaches us. The unborn child is a distinct living and whole human being. Now, if Wait, the un- uh, hold on one second. Yes. Because I know we have, uh, we have some people on uh, Facebook Live right now, so I'm going to throw, throw it out. If you guys have any questions for Seth, uh, please just uh, type it in and we will start taking some questions towards the, uh, the end of the show. So, yeah. So, here is why the abortion issue is not complex. So this is helpful for your listeners, for those watching, yes. for those who are going to tune in. Here is why abortion is not complex or complicated at all. But we've been told that, right? We've been told it's a deeply complex issue. Well, of course, it raises the question, why is it deeply complex? If it's a blob of tissue, <laughs> exactly. then why is it deeply complex, right? So there's a tacit admission there, even from those who support abortion, that there's something going on that's more than just pregnancy tissue. But again, we're told it's deeply complex. It's not complex. And the whole abortion debate comes down to one question and one question only that ultimately matters. And that question is, what is the unborn? Because here's the thing. If the unborn is not human, no justification for abortion is necessary, as Greg Kokel says, yeah. President of Standard Reason. Yeah. Right? But if the unborn are human, then no justification for abortion is adequate. So if it's, if it's not a human being, have as many abortions as you'd like. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Nobody cares. Yeah. If it is a human being, no justification you can offer Ever. on behalf of killing that unborn yeah. child works or suffices yeah. is not adequate if the thing being killed is a human being. And why is that? Because we as a society, thankfully, still believe this basic premise. It is always wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Everyone believes that, right? Yeah. Even the left who, who wants to shut down... Christian ideas, conservative ideas, would, would agree with that statement. They would say, yes, it is always wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Right. But, of course, they have to define the unborn as not human not in human. order to believe that premise but also support abortion. So here's the basic pro-life argument. It's always wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Abortion intentionally kills an innocent human yep. being. If both of those premises are true, then the conclusion that naturally follows is, therefore, abortion is wrong. So nobody has a problem with that first premise. It's the second premise they have a problem with that says abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being. They're going to say, no, it's not a human being or it's not a person. Mm-hmm. 
But notice the whole abortion debate really does just turn on that one question, what is the unborn? So for example, if your pro-choice friend, you know, or neighbor, Ryan yeah. says, you know, Ryan, I, you know, I just can't believe that you would tell a woman that she doesn't have the moral right to obtain an abortion. I, I, just, I, I just can't believe it because that's a private issue. How dare you intrude into her and her boyfriend's or husband's right. private family reproductive decisions? How dare you insert yourself there? At which point you smile and gently respond with the question, should we, should we allow parents to kill their toddlers as long as they do so in the privacy of their own homes? How dare you intrude into the privacy of their living room where they make decisions about whether to dismember their three-year-old? Yeah. And what's your neighbor going to say? <gasps> yeah. What, Ryan? I can't believe you just suggested that. Yeah. Of course you can't kill toddlers. And you say, why? And they say, because toddlers are human beings. Ah, ah. So the issue was never privacy and who should have the right to make those decisions. The issue was what is the unborn? Because the humanity that your neighbor is granting to the toddler, in your example, he's denying that humanity to the unborn child in his argument for abortion. So see, a seemingly complex issue boiled down to the question, what is is the unborn? unborn? That is unbelievable. So now my question, too, is I would like to talk about, you know, you were talking about uh, about Jesus. So what is what does Jesus say about the unborn? Like why? According to the scriptures. Right. How do you tie all this together? Totally. Yeah. So, you know what? There's not a verse that says thou shalt not abort. Yeah. But there doesn't need to be. For a Christian to understand that abortion is a indefensible act of violence Mm -hmm. that ends the life of a defenseless, unborn human person. The scripture does not have to say thou shalt not abort for us to be pro-life. And here's why, Ryan. This is actually really simple, right? Everything I'm going to try to do today is to show how the abortion issue is not complex. We are going to the break, and I have uh, Seth Gruber in studio. If you want to find out more about him, you could go check out his uh, podcast. It's called Unaborted on YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes. More live with Ryan Reese coming up. Is everything all right? Sure. Call now. 1-888-564-6173. Or post your questions using the hashtag LiveRyanReese on his Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Uh, I think I speak for the entire administration when I say... what do you do Now, back to Live with Ryan Reese. Don't say what I warn you. Loud noises! means in which you seek to exterminate those victim class. So the intent in abortion is to target unborn children. This is why Planned Parenthood and abortion clinics are usually situated five to seven miles from a university campus. Huh. Wonder why that is. Because those are women who are having the most sex and are most likely going to be facing an unplanned pregnancy. That's what those statistics are. This is why, Ryan, abortion clinics and Planned Parenthood are far more in 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 neighborhoods with low incomes and and uh and diverse ethnic communities who are more likely to be abortion-minded because it's a money-making business and they know that they can target those unborn children for abortion. I I was just at a a seminar yesterday with the Barnabas group here in Orange County. Yeah, great group. There was a girl that was talking about her ministry and she was talking about the most um, teen pregnancies – uh, in in Orange County, where we're in Santa Ana, and I think there was like wow. over 500 teen moms. Wow! Like you can see the pregnancies is happening, but yeah. we didn't even talk about abortions. Right. This was just her ministry was just to help people that were pregnant. That's right. But the abortions were much greater, I'm sure. Yeah. And 
this is in you know Santa Ana, that area. Unfortunately, it is there's a it's a lower income. That's right. Um, well, did area. you know last year more babies were aborted in New York City than were born? More black babies were aborted in New York City than were born. And I the, heard uh, Shapiro talking about some of this. Go ahead and mm-hmm. talk about it. yeah. That's right. Yeah, abortion is is a racist tool mm-hmm. wielded by Planned Parenthood, an organization founded by a eugenicist racist, in order to exterminate those that she deemed as undesirable, namely the African American population. The worldview of racism and the worldview of the KKK is alive and well in Planned Parenthood because roughly our, the American population, about 13% of the American population are African Americans. Mm-hmm. Okay? This is according to the U.S. Census Bureau. They account for over 30% of the annual abortions. So a, a, a race of people that only represents 13% of the American public That's obtain 30%. over a third of the annual abortions. Margaret Sanger and the KKK are smiling in their graves knowing that their life's work has gone on full steam with the most racist organization in American history, Planned Parenthood. We have letters written by Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. We have these letters. Okay, yeah. this is not like this is not like Conspiracy. oh wondering what <laughs> yeah, she yeah, said yeah, yeah. where she she wrote a letter to a doctor by the name of Clarence Gamble saying Quote, we do not want word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And now Planned Parenthood gives awards called the Margaret Sanger Award to those that, that fought for women's rights. And by that, of course, we mean fights yeah. for abortion rights. Exactly. So yep. we give awards by a woman who wanted to exterminate blacks, and we, we celebrate her as a defender of women's rights, while that same organization kills hundreds of thousands and now millions of little black baby boys and girls. So abortion is genocide because over 60 million babies have been slaughtered since 1973. And ready for this? Yeah, good. Over a billion human beings have been aborted and slaughtered worldwide Worldwide. since 1980. Just since 1980. Okay, so so say uh, numbers to like maybe like Hitler. Like what, what, what were the numbers with him? Do you- right. I think, I think just um, Jews, it was estimated yeah. around 6 million Jews yeah. were um, wiped out during the Holocaust. And but that was but a, there, there, were other, yeah. there were other racial classes that were targeted during the Holocaust. But this, but this was a p- pitched – I mean this was a big deal, and that was 6 million. We're talking a billion worldwide. Right, and you could, you could really rack it up to maybe 13 million from the Holocaust when yeah, you include other total. racial classes. Um, so, okay, let's say 13 million because of the SS and Hitler's um, campaign and worldview, right? View, right? Um, and that was, over the, that was over five or six years. But this campaign with the, with the whole abortion thing is growing. Yeah, well, more. we in our country yeah. kill about a million babies every year. Every year. Every 365 days, the United States of America, a country founded firstly on the right to life, right. murders a million babies every year. And there's been, again, over, over 60 million since 1973 in the United States of America, 50 million a year worldwide, mm-hmm. and a billion worldwide since 1980. Dude, unbelievable. This is genocide by any definition. It's the silent. No one, like, I mean, it's, it's not talked about. It's not talked about much as far as like, but the younger generation, they don't, yeah. they don't know the seriousness of it. So any other questions? Yes. Um, How many more do we have? 
About three. All right, let's go for it. Okay, so how to explain to a non-Christian person who defend abortion that it's wrong, and how can we use the Bible for that explanation? Right. So this is a good question, and this goes back a little bit to what we were just talking about, right? Was how can we explain and defend and articulate our views on abortion to those who don't share our Christian worldview? And does the Bible play any part in that? Well, here's here's my answer. Um, All truth is God's truth. So God's truth is going to be manifested and found everywhere. God's truth is going to be found in the science of embryology. Mm -hmm. It's going to be found in philosophy or natural law. It's going to be found written on the human heart. And so we don't, as Christians, have to cite Bible verses to make our pro-life case. Now, we can, and we should use conversations about abortion as platforms to share the gospel as well, right, to those who don't believe in Jesus. But we don't need to cite Psalm 139 to convince someone that they should become pro-life. In fact, by doing that, we're probably going to guarantee that they don't become pro-life, at least in the immediate future, because all they're hearing is, well, Ryan, you're a Christian, I'm not, and you just told me that the reason abortion is wrong is because the Bible says so. Yeah, and they don't care about the Bible, so it doesn't even matter. But they're saying, I don't even believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God, and I don't believe in your God, so why should I take his words with any weight? So my, my basic answer is that we can appeal to the truth of God that is found everywhere to make a case for the pro-life position that will resonate with the secular culture. So we did a little bit of that earlier. And for whoever asked this question, if you were, turned, if you were tuned in earlier, we talked about the science of embryology, which says that from the moment of conception, the unborn is a distinct living and whole human being. If your pro-choice non-Christian friend says you're wrong on that, Gently encourage them to pick up any embryology textbook on any university campus in the world. Okay? This, is. Is, this is a settled debate regarding when yeah. human life begins. Okay? So we have that aspect. So that's the first thing you would do or say to someone who's a non-Christian is say, well, this is what science says, that it's a human being. Now, the second portion of my answer to this question mm-hmm. is what makes humans valuable? Because what many people are going to say at this point is, okay, Ryan, well, that's great. I mean, okay, fine. I accept the science of embryology. Okay. Sure. Cause they're human parents. So I guess humans can only create humans. Okay. So sure. The unborn's a human. I'll yes. grant you that. But you see, Ryan, it's not a person and only persons have value. Now, this is a timeless conversation, okay? This is not a new conversation regarding where does human value come from. What they're going to do is they're going to separate the term human and the term person. Now, we as pro-life Christians would maintain that the term human and the term person are basically synonyms, right? Like, you're a human, you're a person. Like, doesn't that just mean the same thing? Yes, it does. But, But culturally, you'll find that those two terms will be separated for moral purposes or immoral purposes because what they're going to do is they're going to say only persons have rights. Okay, so they're going to acknowledge that the unborn is biologically human according to its DNA. It has no rights. Right, but it has no rights. And they're going to say only persons have rights. So now we're getting into philosophy. Here's the basic response to communicate to your listeners, to communicate to your pro-choice non-Christian friends why not only is the unborn a human, but the unborn has value as a human person. Okay, here it is. There's no essential difference between the unborn and the born that makes it okay to kill the unborn. Another way to put it is there's no meaningful difference between the embryonic human you once were and the adults you are today 
that would justify killing you at that earlier stage. Now, are there differences between unborn children and teenagers? Of course there's differences, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And if your mother held up a picture of 20-week yeah. in utero Ryan and, and you now, there's obvious differences. The pro-life case is that none of the differences are relevant. None of those differences matter. And the four differences between the unborn and the born are size, level of development, environment, and dependency. If you want to remember that, think of the acronym SLED. Okay, sled. It's a hard concept in Southern California. You're right, what's snow, what's sled? But sled, size, level of development, environment, and dependency. Let's take those very quickly. Is the unborn child smaller than the newborn child? Yes, but you're smaller than me because I'm six foot three. But don't we have an equal human value and right to life? So size has no relevance to human value. So because the unborn's smaller, you can't use that to justify killing them. Level of development. Is the unborn less developed than the newborn child? Yes, but I'm less developed than you because I'm younger. Mm -hmm. And your children are less developed than you because they're younger. That doesn't mean that children are less valuable than adults because they're less developed. The same applies to the unborn. Environment. That just means location, the environment you find yourself in. Is the unborn located in a very unique environment that's different than toddler's environment? Yes, the womb, the uterus. By the way, it's the location that that baby's supposed to be in. As it turns out, a uterus was designed to grow a human being. So it's the natural location, but it is a different location. But you and I are located in different locations and environments. And when we leave here and walk outside and we're in the parking lot, we'll be in a different location again. But where one is has no bearing on who one is. We have an equal human dignity and right to life regardless of the environment we find ourselves in. So just because the unborn is in the uterus six inches away, that doesn't mean that they're less valuable. But our country says if you're in the womb, we can rip you limb from limb legally and call it women's health care. But if you make a six-inch journey down the birth canal during childbirth and you're being held by the doctor, congratulations, human rights. Where one is has no bearing on who one is. So size, level of development, environment or location, and dependency. Dependency. Yes, is the unborn child dependent on the mother to live? Yes, Yes, it is. Luckily, medical technology is is helping us to make unborn children independent earlier and earlier, right? We can keep them alive outside the womb. And you probably know a little bit about this. We had some premature babies that... um we had to go through that. And yeah. thank God that you live in 2019 with medical technology enabled to save your children. Yeah. We live in an amazing time, right? But we have human rights and value regardless of whether we're dependent on someone or not, right? Yeah. Because there's born people who are dependent on insulin, heart pacemakers, True. kidney machines, or life support. Now, does that mean we can slit their throats because they're dependent on something else without which they cannot continue to live? Just like the unborn child is dependent on the mother without whom he or she cannot continue to live. So to answer this question, the baby is a baby. It's a human being. That's what science teaches us. From a value standpoint, should we value the unborn child? There's no meaningful difference between you, the embryo, and you, the adult, that would justify killing you, the embryo. And the only differences between unborn people and born people are size, level of development, environment or location, and dependency. And we as born people differ in regards to those four ways, just like the unborn does. So that's how you can communicate your pro-life position to someone who doesn't share your biblical worldview. Uh, Do you have a website? Yeah, my website is sethgruber.com. That's S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com. Track him down and get more information. He's amazing. What's the next Uh, question? We have like 12 minutes left. Yeah. Um, How to reply when a Christian who says they're pro-life and pro-choice. Right. These are good questions. Your listeners are asking really good questions. So this is the idea that you can be personally pro-life. In other words, you don't like the idea of abortion. Right. You wouldn't pressure someone else to get an abortion. You wouldn't get an abortion or 
pressure your girlfriend or wife to do it, but you think it should be legal. Okay, so that's what this question is getting yeah. at. How can, can a Christian be pro-life and pro-choice? Meaning, personally, I don't like it, but it should stay legal. Because the pro-choice position is essentially abortion is a legal right, and it should remain a legal right. right. This is just as ludicrous, okay, as saying, Ryan, listen, okay, I'm personally against slavery. Okay, I would never buy a slave, but I believe it's a legal right for other people to buy human beings and whip them if they want to. Or, I'm personally opposed to child abuse. I, I personally wouldn't punch my toddler's cheek until he's black and blue. But, see, Ryan, it needs to be a legal it right. Really right. And I'm going to support the legality of child abuse. Ready? Abortion is the worst form of child abuse, guys. Because abortion doesn't just abuse and bruise a baby. It ends up in their dismemberment and murder. murder. Abortion is the worst form of child abuse because it's child abuse that ends in a dead kid rather than just a bruised one. And so if you are opposed to child abuse, you should be opposed to abortion because it's the worst form of child abuse. To say that you're personally pro-life but support the legality of abortion is a deeply immoral position because you're essentially saying, I want to remain in my own safe bubble where I don't commit atrocities while supporting the legal right of other people to have their rights stripped from them, namely the right to life. If the unborn is a human being like you and I from the moment of conception, then abortion is just as wrong as slavery or child abuse. The worst case of child abuse. I like that. So here's a here's a question you probably hear it's it's pretty common you you see it like on social media and stuff and people go you know is is it good to have abortion legal and then someone says well what if they were raped right what is the percentage because right. this seems to be the argument you see with a lot of youngsters yeah you know that are, that are pushing this stuff yeah and that's the only thing well what if they were raped and they got yeah. pregnant yeah what's the true well this is probably that? on the mind of a lot of your listeners so let's quickly debunk this yeah okay it's less than one percent that's according to the Guttmacher institute you want to you want to cite me guys you want to double check me just search Guttmacher institute abortion statistics and you less will find that less than one percent of the annual abortions in the united states of america are performed on women who were raped so what does this argument become it becomes a fallacy wherein you appeal to the exception to justify the norm. Because the argument from the pro-choice movement, Ryan, is not, is not that abortion should only be legal in the case of rape. The, the argument is abortion should be legal for any reason or no reason at all through all nine months of pregnancy. Right. Why? Well, because of rape. So they're using the less yeah. than 1% to justify their support of the 99%. Yes. Here, for your listeners, here's how you debunk this. You gently smile at your pro-choice friend and you say, wow, so... You're willing to join me in fighting against the 99% of all other abortions that aren't from rape. <laughs> yeah. And they go, well, uh, no, no. Well, uh-huh. But you just said it should be legal in cases of rape. So that's what I'm Well, no, I believe it should be legal in every circumstance. Oh, okay. So you're just using the less than 1% to veil and hide and disguise your position that you yeah. support abortion for any reason or no reason at all through all nine months of pregnancy. So why don't you just say that that's actually your position? But again, let's briefly examine this with the time we have left. The argument okay. says because of circumstances of rape, abortion needs to remain legal. Here's, here's your, here's your one-shot, quick pro-life response. Unborn children should not be forced to suffer for the crimes of their father. Unborn children should not be murdered for the crimes of their father. Mm. How many parties are involved, Ryan, in a pregnancy that arises from rape? Right. Three. Well, yeah. The rapist, the mother, and the unborn child. Those are how many human parties are involved in a pregnancy that arises from rape. Okay, let's ask the question. Who gets the death penalty, guys? Who should we murder? Should we murder the mom 
No, that's a disgusting insinuation because yep. she's an innocent victim, for goodness yep. sake. Now, why do I even bring that up? In some Muslim countries, they practice something called honor killings, where they murder women who are raped because they have a culture of shame that tells them that if you were raped, that's something to be ashamed of, so we're going to murder you. It's called honor no killing. Way. This is practice in some countries in the world. Oh, that's crazy. But we would never do that here, thank God, because she's an innocent victim. Okay, should we give the death penalty to the rapist? Well, some people say yes. Okay, I'm willing to entertain that. They should yeah. certainly be behind bars for life yep. if not given the death penalty. But our country currently does not give the death penalty to rapists. So we don't give the death penalty to the mother, thank God. That's, yep. that's an obvious one. We don't even give the death penalty to the only guilty party, the man who brutally raped and mistreated and abused this innocent woman. Why should we give the death penalty to the unborn child who's just as innocent as his or her mother. As it turns out, abortion is wrong for the same reasons that rape is wrong. It abuses, it's an act of violence that abuses an innocent human being. And, and aborting a baby because they were conceived in rape is not compassionate, it's barbarism. And it, and it rips the limbs off of an innocent person who has done nothing. Why don't we just give the consequences of decisions to the only guilty party, the rapist? Yep. Dude, that's heavy. All right. We're going to take another one. All right. Um, Why should men make laws about women's bodies? (laughs) That's a good one, yeah. Now, I'm not sure if this is being asked by a pro-life person or a pro-choice person, um, but um, you're going to hear this talking point a lot, right? that men should shut up, right, because it doesn't impact them. Well, what about the 50% of abortions that murder unborn men? Unborn males. What about them? Mm-hmm. Half of the abortions murder boys. Why should born men stay silent about the murder of unborn men? How about that? Point, yeah. if that? If that is a distinct living and whole human being like you and I, then they have value, period. And we should all be opposed to actions that kill little babies. Now, again, the question assumes what? That how many bodies are involved? It assumes there's one. The question said, why should men make laws about women's bodies? It's not your body. The body in your body is not your body. It is a distinct living and whole human being. Also, if babies are part of their mother's bodies and and it's really just men making laws about women's bodies, then why doesn't abortion kill women? If it's her body and then we're aborting the thing that's her body, why isn't she dead? Because we understand we killed another body. We killed someone else with their own body and their, their own future that was created in the image of god so men who so pro-life legislators is essentially what this question is talking about who make yeah. laws about yeah. abortion are real men this is because they're men who seek to defend women and children and the unborn children in our midst are the most defenseless children perfect let's do another one we got we got five minutes left all right um so how do get you get as many as we can out of you <laughs> Why don't pastors speak out about this subject? Yeah. Some do. But, Some do. But go ahead and just the, Some do. Your dad does. Yep. A lot of the Calvary Chapel pastors do. One yep. of the reasons I'm so grateful for the Calvary Chapel yep. community of churches. Of course, other pastors do too. Yeah. But here are the top two reasons I have gotten from pastors who I try to work with, right? Or who I try to get things pro-life um, training and discussions yep. going at churches. Here's the biggest one. Well, Seth, you know, we don't want to... We don't want to shame people who've had abortions. We don't want to scare people away. We don't, we don't want post-abortive women to be told they're murderers. Um, oh, we don't want people who might be visiting the church and need to hear about the gospel to, to show up on a Sunday when we preach about abortion and go, huh, I figured this was a Republican church. 
mm-hmm. and peace out. So the assumption is, is that those pastors are the ones in control of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Because if we preach truth on abortion, some people might not like the proclamation of truth and they might leave the church. And so we can't have that because these people need Jesus. Well, guess what? I have good news for you, pastors. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. Your role is to preach truth and do it boldly and do it graciously, but to do it nonetheless, and the results are left to God. So if we don't talk about abortion because we're afraid of offending people, I guess we should all stop preaching the gospel because Because the the gospel is an offensive message. And you know what? There's so much grace and truth when you do give the gospel. That's right. Because, yeah, so I've been through them and... and, uh, I, know, I have a lot of friends that have been through abortions, and I meet with people that are about to get them, and some have and some haven't. But this is why the blood that was shed on the cross washes us white as snow. Amen. And there's forgiveness of sins. And as, right. as we give this message of truth, we're going to stop. We could change someone's mind. I mean, That's what right. about people? See, this is the thing. So say you're in church, and you got the people that are thinking about it, contemplating having an abortion. Right. You could stop that by yeah. telling the truth. And then the ones that have, you can let them know about the grace and the and mercy. Healing. yeah. And that God could heal and he forgives. So you're preventing evil and you're, you're, you're healing evil. It's, 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 you're addressing both. That's right. Through the, if you, if you're, it's not all about, it's not shame. It's right. about God will forgive you. He'll heal you. So you're addressing it through grace and mercy and truth. That's right. And that's what Jesus is. Well, think about King David. He arranged the death of an innocent person. Yes. Uriah's, perfect story. You know, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Yeah. Nathan confronted him. He repented. Yeah. God renewed him, called him a man after his own heart. Yeah. And then David said, regarding his son that died from his sexual infidelity with Bathsheba, he said, my son will not return to me, but I will go to him. So if you have had an abortion, Jesus is just as eager to forgive the sin of abortion as any other sin, just like he did with David. And if you repent and ask for Christ's forgiveness, just like David, you're going to see your baby in heaven, seated on Christ's lap in yep. glory. 100%. And you know what? You know, just for the, you listeners, uh, God loves you so much. We, we address these issues and, um, because the gospel, is, it's black and white. And this is why we do the show. We talk about the things that a lot of people don't talk about in this church that are maybe taboo, um, any kind of subjects. And this is why it's important that I like to bring guests in that, that bring it. You know, you bring it straight. It, Jesus, when you read about uh, sins in the Bible, they're all grouped together and they're all, they're all looked at the same. It doesn't matter if you're like a little liar or if, you know, you're, 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 you're cheating on your wife or you're watching pornography or if you're using drugs or you're a drunkard or, That's right. you know, you've, you've, you've had an abortion, whatever it is. Sin is sin, and this is why Jesus came on a rescue mission out of eternity to die for the sins That's of the right. world. That's right. And that by believing by faith that he is the Son of God, he split time in half. You have B.C., you have A.D. He split time in half. He died That's on the right. cross. He raised from the dead. And by believing by faith, he sends the, 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 the Holy Spirit into our life, and he does that supernatural work in the natural realm, That's right. and he heals us. That's right. He heals us of our maybe the things of your past, the anxiety, the depression, Maybe, you know, we know that the things that come from your past, Satan is the condemner. He's the liar. He's a serpent of old. He's the dragon. He's the one that likes to bring up our past. Jesus says he gets our sins, casts them as far as the east is to the west. He buries them in the deepest part of the ocean, and he never brings them up again. That's right. And that is the beauty of what, why God sent his son, Jesus, out of eternity to do what he did on the cross. And also never forget Jesus came as a fetus. He, he did, actually, <laughs> through Mary, born of the Holy Spirit, 100% man, 100% God. And he did go through hard times while he was here on this earth. So he knows what you're going through. He knows those times when you're going through those storms in your life. And this is why 
he is a great physician. He could come alongside. He could walk with you and he could heal and he could change Amen. your life. Thank you Absolutely. for coming on this show. Uh, it is true what everyone said. You were awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Thanks we'll, for having me. We'll on the see show. you guys. Uh, I guess we'll be talking to you guys next uh, Saturday night. We love you guys. Peace. This has been Live with Ryan Reese. To connect or find out more about Ryan, click on ryan-reese.com. Check us out next Saturday at 9 p.m. for Live with Ryan Reese. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.